welcome back to the Global Gamers Podcast. Yeah. We are now in our in our early 20s of episodes. We're almost like six months into this. Can, can you believe it? I know. It's pretty surreal. And I was thinking about that today. That like yeah, we started this in February and now it's July already. Crossed that um, milestone and didn't even realize it. I got to pay more yes. attention to our episode <laughs> numbers. <laughs> and speaking of milestones, we have a big review that we're going to do today. We um, do. We kind of snuck up on us because we had meant to do a different review before we did this, but we want to hop on this while it's fresh. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you might say that this game has kind of crash landed on the in the board game world recently, and I think a lot of people have been talking about it. Yes. And the game we're talking about is Expeditions. Yeah. So we've got Expeditions, and this game is a sequel to scythe but is a standalone game so it's within the scythe universe but and you know shares a bit of the dna but is its own standalone standalone game and the basic story for this is kind of building off of you know the same narrative that drove the original series um a steampunk aesthetic uh, with some, with some really cool artwork, but the basic idea is you've got a new adventure, and you are a clan venturing into Siberia after a giant meteorite has crashed near the Tunguska River and unleashed this weather. Well, I guess it's not really radioactivity because it's called ancient corruption. So there's some yeah, sort of honestly- like supernatural something yeah some of the artwork kind of gives me like a hp lovecraft cosmic horror kind of vibe yeah um yeah so it's like it's interesting throwing that into that like scythe universe as you mentioned because scythe the artwork in the original game is so loved and so iconic because it's a mix of like that early industrialized yeah. Um, steampunk as you said like mechanic mixed with like rural pastoral medieval peasants right and now you're adding in like a third element that's like this cosmic horror sci-fi right um neon glow in the dark um aspect to it so it's it's really interesting it is well and i yeah because I, yeah, I, th- I think the 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 lovecraftian like horror bit is definitely added but i will say like just the aesthetic of this it's not like a complete departure from Scythe either. It's like still incorporating some of those pastoral and some of those steampunk elements, but it's blending it into a new uh, new board game cocktail, if if you will. Yeah, um, exactly. It's like having a big pot of Scythe soup and you just added one extra ingredient. It's like yeah. food coloring or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And it. so the game... Um, you know, you're venturing out into the the tundra of Siberia, trying to track down, you know, not just this meteorite, but the way that it's like impacting the the landscape around you. And so you have a, you know, a character and a an animal companion that you're starting with, and then you're gradually going to be building out a crew of cards to basically private 
have have this private expedition to Siberia trying to like win glory and acclaim for yourself, uh, complete quests, find like technological artifacts, find little pieces of the meteor and uh, be the the team that achieves the most acclaim or the most glory uh, in terms of point total at the end. Awesome. Um, and of course, as we said already, this is published by Stonemeyer Games. Duh. Yes. Follow up the yes. site. Designed right. by Jamie Stegmeyer himself. Mm-hmm. And the same artist, um, Jakob Rosalski, who did yes. Scythe. Um, and much like Scythe, this is a one to five player game. They say it plays in about 60 to 90 minutes. And this one has a complexity of 2.9. I'm curious. I want to look up. Um, yeah, I'm what, about to look what the up original scythe, scythe had. Yeah, because I have my own first impression about how I think they compare in terms of. Okay, scythe complexity is three point four four. I right. think honestly, yeah. I think that's a little bit high for scythe. Yeah, I could, um, I could see, that. but I definitely agree with it being a few decimals um, above expeditions. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. And yeah, so I mean, you kind of gave an overview of the theme. So I'll just give a quick overview of the gameplay. One yeah, thing I will great. just say up front is that I think this is a more simple game than Scythe, as we already mentioned. Right. But it took a while to kind of get everything to click into place. Some of the things were not as intuitive as mm-hmm. I thought they would be. And I think part of that might actually be on me because I think coming into this game, based on what it looked like, I had certain expectations yeah. of the way it would work. Although and it turned in, out, it turned yeah. out to be different. Although so it in just fairness, had to be an adjustment. In fairness, this was coming from you know a couple of people that you know are not strangers to Scythe. So I think like you know I assume it'll be you know interesting and useful info to hear that from listeners who. You know, even ones that have played Scythe before and might have a similar experience or different. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so basically in this game, as you mentioned, you you start off with your, um, you know, your expedition leader, your character and your animal companion. And each of those is a card that you basically have in your hand and mm-hmm. you gather more cards as you go. And your cards kind of go back and forth from what they call your hand to your active area. And I think part of what was confusing for us at the beginning is your hand really isn't a hand because it's on the table face up already. It's just kind of right. like one side of the board to the other. So it's really like two different loading areas or like tableaus that you have going on at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. But you're basically a hand. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you're and the cards you get right. are going to be in addition to the ones you start with, you're going to have three main types of cards. You're going to have items. You're going to have quests. And you're going to have meteorites. And the way each of those works is they will always have um, like a power that you will get every time you play them. So basically every time you move them from your hand to your active area, you will get power or guile. And those are kind of like the two different stats or like the currency of this game. Mm -hmm. So you can like move up a tracker and then you spend down from it. And then you want to move it up again, spend down from it again. So you kind of want to constantly like build it up to spend it. And you'll always max out at 10. So you don't want to like, 
you know, get too much at once. It's, it's a tight economy of how you want to balance that. Right. And so each of the cards has that. And then each card also has an ability that's like a worker placement spot. I think yep. the best way to think about it is if you played a game like Dwellings of Elder Vale, it works like the cards in Dwellings of Elder Vale where some of the cards have a worker placement spot on it. It works the same way. You put the worker on that spot, you get to do the instant ability and or the ongoing ability associated with it. Yeah. Um, what, and one, oh, yeah, go for it. Sorry. One thing I would just add to that is I think the, the placement of where the worker spots are, like you said, is, you know, similar to dwellings of elder Vale. The other thing I would say is the way you acquire these workers is a little bit more similar to wayfarers of the South Tigris. You don't start with any workers. You have to like, well, um, basically go to certain spots in order to acquire them. Yeah. In a way, the workers are like resources yes. themselves. Yes. Like they're in a big tub next to the coins, if that is helpful to think about. Right. Um, and so like they're different color workers. So there's yellow, green, blue, red, and purple. And each one kind of pairs with different card abilities. So like some cards will only work if you put a red worker on it. So you want to go to the spot where you can get a red worker to then have that worker so that when you play the card with that worker spot on it, you have the worker available to get the benefit. So you're kind of balancing that constantly. And then um, there's a lot of like exploration in this game, which, you know, the, the name kind of gives away. So instead of having a yeah. board like Scythe, you have more of like a modular board setup. I haven't played Scythe with the modular board, but it is kind of similar in terms of how it looks in terms of it being those hex tiles. Mm -hmm. And your board is kind of divided into three regions. You have South, Central, and North. And you'll always have like the same tiles in every game, but you just kind of draw them randomly for the setup. So it's in a different configuration every time. Not dissimilar and... to a game like Catan in that respect. Yeah, and again, Dwellings of Elder Vale and the way you construct right. the Elder Vale map. Um, right. And so basically a lot of this game is you're going to keep doing um, a combination of three actions. So the three actions are move, play, and gather. For most of your turns, you're going to be doing two out of those three actions. So you're going to have a little cube that you're going to at the beginning of your turn, block off one of those three spots, and then you get to do the other two actions, which yep. is kind of cool because, you know, most games you're choosing the one action you want to do. In this one, you're choosing the one action you don't want to do. So yeah. um, that's interesting. And then what each one of those does is with move, everyone has a mech that's kind of like the main unit you use to move around the map. Mm -hmm. With the move action, you can move up to three spaces with your mech. Um, you just have to end your movement on a space that's different from the one you started on. You cannot end on a spot that someone else is occupying. And if you discover a new region, so a face down region that hasn't been visited yet, you would just stop moving um, as soon as you do that, as soon as you get to that. So if you played Betrayal at House on the Hill, it's kind of like that when you discover a new yeah. room. Yeah. So that's movement, pretty straightforward. And then the second action is play. And this is the one that I think is the most complex of the three and took us a little while to figure out how it works. Yes. So what they mean by play is you play a card, which basically means, means that you move a card from your hand or the left side of your 
personal playmat to the right side, the active area. And what that allows you to do is then you get to do, as I mentioned before, all the things on that card that are available to you. So if that card would give you power or guile when you play it, you would get that stat boost. And then if you have a power that an, an ability on that card that you can use, um, let's it probably will require a worker to do so and you need the right color worker, then you get that benefit. So that's kind of the play action. And then within that, there are a bunch of different things that can happen. So you can, as part of your play action, you can do something called Vanquishing Corruption, which will help you get points. You can um, complete quests. Um, You can meld a meteorite. And basically what those things let you do is those are ways of getting points that help you complete the objectives you need to complete to um, bring about the end game. Right. Very much like Scythe. Yeah, and also let you upgrade your mech in various ways. Exactly. Um, And then the final action is the gathering action. And this is the most, like, standard worker placement resource gathering mechanic you can think of. So each of the hex tiles on the map of um, Siberia that we're exploring will have icons on it that will tell you what you get if you take the gather action on that spot. So some of them might give you a worker. Some of them might let you draw cards in the deck. Some of them might give you power or guile stat boost. Some of them will let you complete, um, give you the opportunity to complete objectives or quests or upgrades or or meld meteors if you have the ability to do so. So you're basically like moving around this map to get to the spots you need um when you need them there's a lot more detail we could go into but basically that's what you're doing and you just kind of do that over and over again until somebody um finishes four of those objectives in this game i don't remember if they call it this in scythe as well but they call it glory in this game but it's the same thing as scythe where you're putting stars almost like a check on a bunch of different categories you can only do each one once um yeah, and then unlike Scythe, once someone does all four of them, everyone will get one more turn, and then the game ends, and you'll count up points, which will be a combination of the coins that you gained during the game, like Scythe. And then instead of the popularity tracker in Scythe that gives you the point multiplier, in this game, you get like a, po- a point multiplier for the number of quests you completed mm-hmm. um, on a scale of zero to three or more. And then you'll get... Um, points for like when you meld meteors the meteor melds will give you like bonus points like objectives so they'll be like you know get a point for every meteor you melded up to three something like that and then if you upgraded any items which you would like tuck these these are like tuck under your mech mat those will also have a small number printed on it they'll tell you how many points it gives you and so we we only played once we played last night for the first time this game only just arrived and we ended up in a point range that I think was the mid fifties, low sixties with like a five point spread. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So I think that's a decent sense of what you're looking at. Maybe a little bit higher once you get used to the strategy of the game. Yeah. So no, I no, yeah. thanks. For, thanks for doing that overview. I think you, you hit all the, hit all the big points on that. Yes. I, I tried, I think yeah. again, this is a game that, there's a lot of little details and things that we got wrong mm-hmm. until about halfway through. 
or things yeah. that we didn't we didn't quite figure out what they did until about halfway through and then had to kind of adjust accordingly or just concede that certain things went wrong that we will just have to fix in sub- subsequent playthroughs. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, definitely. And um, did you have anything else you wanted to add on the overview? Not really. Um, I kind of want to keep it simple on that front because again, yeah. this is just one of those things that you really have to pay attention to Certainly. the rule book and kind of get a feel for it to understand how it clicks together. Yeah. Um, I would just say, and I mean, I guess this is kind of a pivot to the next thing, but I just say like, don't think that because you have played Scythe or that you love Scythe or an expert at Scythe, that you can just walk into this and assume that you know what you're doing. Yeah, I would there's agree certain, with that. Yeah, like there's a certain amount of DNA that is similar there. Like it's going to look like Scythe in a lot of ways, like visually. And there's certain things in terms of, you know, completing the objectives and the point multipliers with the little love heart symbol that, you know, will be familiar yeah. to you if you know Scythe. But that's it. Other yeah. than that, there isn't much this game has in common. It's a totally different game. Yeah. In almost every is. way. Yeah. Yeah. What were, well, what were and, you going to say? Well, one thing I was going to say is I know typically at this juncture, we would get into some gameplay tips. And I think yes. it might still be worth doing that. But I thought it might be useful to listeners to even take a step back and especially since it's such a new game and start with something even more basic than that which is a few things that come to mind for me at least for things to even understanding the rules that tripped us up the first time that might be helpful to highlight i Um, agree yeah like instead of like strategies and tips because we haven't played it enough to know i think just some of the things that we got wrong yeah had to fix mid-game that would be very useful because yeah. I could, maybe maybe they're common things that other people are messing up to, or maybe we'll find out that we're the only ones. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that would be fine. Yeah. So, yeah what did you have I, in mind? Well, I mean, the one the one thing that came to mind for me is you know we've mentioned there's this uh, this corruption mechanic, this almost like supernatural, almost like in terms of its effects, maybe like quasi radioactive presence that you have to dispel from these different tiles. And uh, so you've got these hexes, and when you explore a new hex, you have to place a certain number of little tiles from the bag to, with numbers ranging, I believe, from three to five on each tile. Yep. um, To, like, account for the the amount of this malignant presence that is on a given hex. And when we first were placing these, we overestimated how much had to go on each hex because the hexes have multiple numbers on them. They have uh, one number ranging from one to what, about 20? Yep. And that number is, you know, is just like ordinal order of these hexes, which comes into play with the quests because each quest corresponds to a specific hex you have to be on that hex in order to solve it we mistook those numbers for the quantity of um you know of, of corruption that had to be on each hex so we had 
way more on there than should have been on there. And uh, I'm glad we realized it after only a, a couple turns because yes. it would have made the game a real long slog if we had continued that way. <laughs> yes, and that that like that caused problems in a number of different ways because it meant that we put corruption on the starting tiles in the south region that shouldn't right. have had any corruption on it. And then it yeah. also meant that we were running short on corruption because we took we put too much corruption on the higher number regions that were further north. Well, um, and, not, and not only that, but we uh you know, we were degrading the the landscape far more than it had any right to be degraded. <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing with that is that yeah, some of the locations, well, pretty much all the locations that, that you will discover in the central and north regions as you go, have um, multiple options for what you can do with your gather action. Yes, and glad you brought this part, up. Part of that will be in this little like dotted line square. And we couldn't figure out what that was. And it has a little number next to it, which is five plus or eight plus. We couldn't figure out if that was like a player count thing. They're like, oh, you only get that benefit if you're playing with five or more people. But then we got confused because we were thinking, well, how could that make any sense with an eight plus? What we figured right. out is that is the actual corruption number yes. for how much corruption you need to put. And the corruption goes on top of that little dotted area. And then only once all the corruption is cleared out, can you get that gathering benefit from that spot. So that's a big deal because a lot of those things will be covered up. In fact, always it's covering up one of three things, the ability to boast, which is how you get a star, which again leads to the end game and scores you a bunch of points. Option two is upgrading an item, which again is a way to get points and boost your abilities. And option three is melding a meteor, which very similar, same thing. End game scoring yeah. and boosted abilities. Well, and on the boasting, it's like it also speeds up the tempo of the game because for the first two stars you place, you also like upgrade the amount of power and guile that you're receiving each time you play your main character card and animal companion. Card. Yes, and I, and I think that not understanding those spots really compromised the playthrough we had last night because neither yeah. of us really not. Well, we had zero between both of us. We had no meteorites melted. So none of us scored That's any true. points for that. And I think part of that was because we didn't understand how those spots worked. So those were closed off to us for a long time. And by the time we revealed them, we just wanted to go ahead and, you know, get, um, our objectives done because we had already done a bunch of other things that didn't require right. the meteors. So I think that yeah. was like, we kind of cut out a whole important and interesting part of the game and never really got to play with it last night. Yeah. Um, well, and, and part of that was a product too of the asymmetric powers, I think, because my character at least had an asymmetric power where it allowed them to, you know, solve a quest and then and then gain the the core value of all the solved quests. And so I kind of like I think there are multiple characters that have that power perhaps or a similar one. But it led me to believe that I would had a faction that was supposed to specialize in quests. And so right. um I think there was one point where you started actually collecting some of the meteors and 
then I realized I didn't have any and I'd end the game quick before you were able yeah, to Yeah, I think I was I was about to start playing them the turn that you triggered the end game. Yeah. But again, like that happened very much at the end because yes. while we were playing it wrong, it basically removed it as a as a gameplay option. So I'm interested right. to try this again and do it properly the whole way through and hopefully um this is helpful for people going in who haven't yet played it to make sure they're doing it correctly from the beginning. Right. Um trying to think if there was anything else that we messed up. Um hmm. I think that was a big one. I think Yeah. The and, the thing with but, the quests on the doing the quests on the right locations was something that we caught before it became relevant, but we didn't have it up front at the beginning. Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that is the type of thing that, especially as a first-time player, you might not have on your radar, and you might just think, oh, I have the the two power that I need to complete this quest. I'm just going to go for it because that's what my character power is. But yeah, right, you got to make sure you're on the right location. Right, like that quest may only be able to be solved in Region 3 or something. Yeah, um, and... Yeah. I thought of something else. It's a small sure. thing, but it tripped us both up. It's an iconography thing. Yes. Um, so Stonemaier generally is excellent with iconography, and that is not um, an issue in this game except for one thing. Yeah. Um, there's one icon that's just a blank yellow card symbol. Right. And then there's right. the same exact card, but the card is kind of tilted. And we couldn't figure out what a whole spot meant because we could the cut the spot that we um that we couldn't figure out, and it was a power that I had as well, was the yellow card kind of tilted at like a forty-five degree angle. And what it meant was pick up any one card from the card market on the map. Yeah. Right? And we kept looking at the definition on the reference sheet for just that same yellow card, but at like a normal angle. And it just meant any, and it just said any card. And we're like, what does it mean, any card? Like, or any, any card, of your any... card, I think. Yeah, wasn't it? it was, but it was yeah. very vague and it didn't like tell you an action to take. Like, there was no verb involved. And right. so, again, like for the early part of the game, we just didn't know what that meant. So, yeah. may, I, I don't know if this makes sense, just like in an audio format, but if you have the game in front of you and you see what we're talking about, Again, maybe we just weren't paying enough attention to detail, but I think those two symbols are very were close, very to close and easy to confuse. Yes. Um, other than that, though, like no issues with the symbols and iconography at all. Great graphic design. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, yeah. One other one other thing I would add, and maybe this is veering a little bit more into gameplay tips, is mm-hmm. um, I mean, we already mentioned the confusion we had with how many corruption tiles to place. But I think that because that happened and we had so many stacked on top of each other, I think it, it meant that we didn't, we're not able to do our first or second stars until later in the game than would probably typically happen. And I think um, that would, that's, I guess a gameplay tip that I would suggest to people um, that completing one of those, pretty quick is a very like a very important early goal to do just because not only because it you know gets you on the road to 
before you need to complete the game, but it opens up more possibilities for what you can do and allows you to like do almost everything else more rapidly. Yeah. That's a good one. And I think it also contributed as a result to our game last night, taking a little bit longer than I think a game of this should take. Yeah. Um, Yes. Great. So on that note, do you want to move into best thing and worst thing about this game? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you, uh, do you want to go first on that front? Sure. Um, I think best thing about this game is I feel like I am always the one who mentions the artwork and the graphic design. I will I will I'm, you have this more is not gonna expertise be my, in this. Area I know, as I know, well, but like though. this is not my this is not my actual answer, but I do just wanna again shout out um the artwork because I think it's like even a step up from Scythe, which I thought I'd never say because Scythe has some of the coolest artwork ever. Yeah. Um yeah. But when you throw in, you know, like that kind of Lovecraftian twist to some of the territories with the infection and the meteorites and stuff. It's very cool. Um, the actual thing that I, and also like the mechs in this game. Awesome. We both got the ironclad oh, edition and you get like mechs metal are, mechs with the rubber bases yes. they're, and they're chunky. They're like four times the size of the scythe mechs. Yes. Which is really cool. Um, and they have very cool, like unique designs. Like one of them is like a Viking longship with legs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, the, it's it's <laughs> it's incredibly imaginative. Really, really cool. Yes. Um. So my my actual best thing about this game is I really like the corruption, the way that the corruption works, and like mm-hmm. the gaining and then spending of power and guile to vanquish corruption. Um. Mm-hmm it's really satisfying when you do it. And especially like when you can kind of chain it and like offload a whole bunch of power and guile at the same time to get, um, yeah. to remove a whole bunch, like multiple corruption chips at a time, because those corruption chips are going to give you points. And then you're also like some cards will give you extra bonuses for yeah. finishing a whole stack of corruption or vanquishing multiple corruption tiles at once. And just like managing that economy of like, how much of those two stats you have at a time and like making sure you're being efficient with um how much you have making sure like you wouldn't just like keep gaining more than you need or like gaining more than you could even have and maxing out before spending it down and that reminded me a lot of like one of the best things that i love about scythe that does carry over into this game in that mechanic and also in the way that like you move that action cube around to determine your actions is making every turn count and the order in which you do things really matter and so like it's not just like scythe it's not a game where you can just kind of float from turn to turn it's a game where like you do have to think a couple turns ahead all the time because undoubtedly sequencing is the key and no, I it, really it makes a that. big difference, and that's one of the that's one of the things I appreciated most about this game too. Yeah. Um, and specifically on that front, I mean, you already mentioned the the you know the the cubes where you're deciding which of the three potential actions, which two of the three you're going to be taking on most of your turns. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the other thing that I wanted to highlight on that front is, and something I think we only, well, I mean, in in one gameplay, we're only scratching the surface on, but that is exploring the synergies between the different cards that you can add to your tableau, especially in the sense of prolonging your turns in trying to minimize the number of times that you have to reset. And yeah. some of the ways that you can do that by, you know, in effect, rescuing cards from your active area and pulling them back to your hand um, to be reactivated again without triggering a reset. And, yeah, because that know, like refresh action is kind of like a wasted turn to get exactly. all your cards back. Exactly. And so the more that you can like, yeah, play at least a couple of your most powerful cards multiple times before you're refreshing, um, I think goes a long way towards, you know, making sure that you're playing, you know, as efficiently as you can. And that's admittedly a hard thing to suss out the first or second time you're playing this. But I think it does, I mean, not to veer back into gameplay tips, but it does behoove you to kind of see what synergies work in terms of like the color workers that you're trying to acquire and that sort of thing. And I think exploring that in a way that goes a step beyond a game like dwellings. Cause I mean, you have those worker spots in dwellings too, but you're not having to decide when they're going to be active, when they're going to be not, they're just always there. And so, um, I like that added nuance to that decision making agreed what about worst thing (laughs) you want to go first at this one yeah i can go first on that um and honestly huh i've got a couple things that come to mind on this okay um the first one is maybe a little bit more trivial but um i think I was primed by the name Expeditions and the the tie like the hex um hexagonal like you know land tiles into thinking that this game is mostly about exploration. Um and honestly I guess I expected exploration to be a bigger part of the game um than it was because you know you admittedly you do have two-thirds of the board that are not revealed when you're starting yeah but i think two things um surprised me about it one was that you're playing with all the tiles every time there's not more than that to um you know create a little bit more variety and replay ability right again like there's that. that direct it's, comparison with dwellings of elder veil where like you yes. play different elements every time so you're cycling right right yeah. and admittedly that makes it ripe for a sequel but i would have it would have been fun to see a little bit more of that in the base game base, although yeah. i recognize that that makes it tricky when you have particular cards that pair with particular tiles that makes it yeah hard. yeah um so and then I mean, on that same front, um, you know, for a game that's like themed to be so 
much tied to exploration. Once you've explored five different tiles and gotten your five little compass tokens to get that star, like that's basically the end point at which exploring is contributing to your final score. Yes, that was something that like and that confused me a lot me and last confused night. Confused me, yeah. Especially because like I really went for it and I had a lot of those map tokens. Um, yeah, you did. You know them from Scythe. They're the little like red and green compass looking things. Um, right. But they don't do anything. Like I had to yeah. take like a second look at the rule book and it's like, yeah, you can. And like even the star you can get from them is not that great because it's a star that you can get from having five of those or eight workers. So like you have options for how to get that well, star I don't... anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. then. Other than that, it's said that there's some cards that will give you benefits for them, but I don't recall seeing any. So maybe it's just we didn't. And like, I mean, a couple of things. So like, we were playing a two-player game, so I guess with higher player counts, you have more of a fight over them because again, it's the sure. same number of tiles every time. Right. Um. Although, like, not even because there was that one spot that I kept getting stuck on that gave you a map token every time you gathered on it. So like there's right. ways to get them. Yeah, there um, are. And and there are also some quests that you complete that give you one as well. Yeah. And I, I um, still don't get why, like, yeah, I'd so, much rather it just right. give me coins or something. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that was, yeah, that's a good that point. was the, the one. And I had one other, but why don't you um, say one first? So I have, I have a little bit of like a, I don't even know if it's really pushback, but some food for thought with your critique, mm, with the exploration. Sure. I think it might be a little bit unfair only mm. because, not based on our experience. Based on our experience last night, I think it's completely fair. Um, but I am thinking that we also did do some important things wrong yeah. last night, which mainly led to the game being longer having more turns than it normally should have. So if you think that this game would normally be more condensed, then the exploration wouldn't have felt completed so prematurely. No, there's relative to, to the length of the game. There's so something I'm, I'm just to be, wondering. There's something yeah. to be said for that for sure. Um, one other thing I would add on that front though, is I think one thing that could have made this really interesting is I really like the mechanic in betrayal at house on the hill where you get a specific unique item for going to a specific tile whereas right. in this game there there's no real advantage to being the first one to a spot really like you get one of those icons but you can get one of those icons from going to any unexplored spot where i agree yeah like if you could if you could get like some kind of card that was a unique item for a specific tile i think that would or like make it a something, little something more like interesting a simple something as simple as just like once you reveal a tile instantly gain like do the gather action on that tile like for free even something like that mm, would be awesome maybe but but i i guess that would maybe that might be overpowered though cuz for the first half of the game then you wouldn't really have to be choosing two of three actions cuz every time you went to a new spot you'd get essentially get to do all three yeah but again there's a there's a limit on new spots yeah yeah um so my 
worst thing about this game. I this is gonna be like the kind of the equivalent of when I talked about the artwork. Mm. Um considering that this is a 2.9 complexity game, it had no right being so difficult to figure out <laughs> how to play it. Yeah. Like I started reading the rule book and setting things up before you came over. And I like budgeted the normal amount of time that I would. Out of curiosity, like of what, is, kind of weight. what is the amount of time for you for a game of this level? I did like 30 minutes. Yeah. And I didn't finish because I, it wasn't that like I couldn't read the number of pages that I need to read. It was just like, I kept getting confused and then having to reread or like dig into components to try and understand how things fit. And I'm just thinking like games that are on this level complexity wise, Everdell, Wingspan, um, Architects of the West Kingdom. I didn't have these kinds of problems the first time and even more complex games like the first time I played Wayfarers of the South Tigris, which is way mm-hmm. more complex than this. Um, and th- and that's a pretty good like, like corollary too, because it's like in both cases, you'd played other games in that universe by that designer. Yeah, exactly. In the same way that this is a sequel to Scythe. Even Scythe. Like, I mean, and I know that like the first yeah. few times we played Scythe, there were a couple things we did wrong, but we were mm-hmm. still able to like get through a game that was like sensible and solid and everyone was like moving and not having like a major huh moments along the way. Sure. Um, and that's just, which in fairness does, which in fairness does make me want to play it again, because I would like to have an experience of it. That is not, um, yeah. Disrupted by those moments. Yes. And I think, I will go ahead and say right now, like, I think this is definitely a game that is going to benefit massively from repeat playing. This is one of those games that I think is going to be really successful for people who love, like, really mining um, a game over and over again until, like they know it really well. And that's, uh, that's interesting because a lot of people feel that way about Scythe. Like there are a lot of people who have like very strong feelings about like specific Scythe turn orders and faction pairings and which ones are the yeah. best and which ones are the worst. Like, yeah, like there are people who play Scythe online who like keep track of like records of like how many oh, turns yeah. you can win in with the different yeah. faction pairings. And it's, there's like world oh, yeah. records it, and all of it, that. It, with, I think with that, like an Age of Empires online devotion to this. Yes, and I think that Stonemaier <laughs> Games, they know it because yeah. this game and Scythe, they both give you that like achievement sheet. Right. Um, right. So I think that on repeat play with a firmer grasp of the rules and how everything clicks, it's going to be a really nice experience, but it was just a little bit too difficult to get there the first time for a game that claims a 2.9 out of five complexity and a 60 to 90 minute playtime, which it is. Like it really is both of those things, just not the first time and not the first time by a a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Um, What do you have? Well, one um I don't want to belabor this too much but I just did want to say one other thing real quick 
And my second thing that I would have loved to see in this game, it's it's in a sense just kind of an absence that I felt when I played this game. Um, I really like the fact that um, the Stonemaier team made this a new game and didn't just create like a uh, facsimile of Scythe. Um, But one thing that I found missing was what I, one of the things I like most about Scythe, the um, popularity track and how you are during the course of the game, having to make decisions that of like, you know, when you're attacking people, how much of that popularity can you afford to expend when it contributes so much to your end game score? And I feel like that tension is just at the heart of what I love about Scythe. And I felt like, I think it's cool that they tried to do something different in this game, but I thought just having the multiplier be the number of quest cards you've completed kind of dissipated that tension that I loved in the first game. Right. And And spending power and guile does not have the same consequences. Well, right. Because you can like boost it up again very quickly. And it's, it doesn't matter like where you are on those tracks at the end of the game. You could have 10, you could have zero. It makes no difference to your scoring. Well, right. And it, and I guess like just having it be based on completed quests felt just a tad bit rote to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I could think of an easy solution to that right now. Um, mm. So when we were playing last night, I said that the power and guile tracker reminded me most of, even more than the popularity tracker in Scythe, it reminded me way more of the influence tracker in the Works of Wonder expansion for Architects yeah. of the West Kingdom. Yeah, exactly. That's another one where it's like you principle. go up to about yeah. like, it's like one to 12 or something, right? And you spend it when you particularly when you want to build the wonders and you'll Mm -hmm. spend, you know, like six or eight popularity at a time. But the difference with that is that at the end of the game, the person who is higher up or highest up on the influence track gets four gold, which is basically four points. So if you just did something small like that, like at the end of the game, whoever has the most, of each or the most combined gets five points or something like that. That would, well, right. Exactly. Yeah. You, that, that, that would, would solve be that one, problem. That would be, that would be a really, really interesting way to handle that. Another one that comes to mind is just restrict certain things where it's like, you cannot do certain actions if your level is below a thir- certain threshold. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess, I think I'm, I like, I'm just trying I to think remember. I like, yours is a game. little more elegant, though. I like that. Yeah, because yeah, you don't want to. I think you want to keep the game brisk, and I don't yes. think you want to add in too much that would like affect the go- gameplay and slow things down. Yeah, yeah. Um, better probably better not to have blockers. I yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, because one thing I do really like about this game is I think it, even though I understand that our experience last night was a bit more drawn out than it should have been, mm. I think that this game, when played as it's meant to be played, um, it's really not going to overstay its welcome. Yeah. And like, even though it comes in this really big box and has these big mechs and tiles, it's not, that's not what you're getting into with this. Game. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's true. Um, yeah. Does that lead us into final uh, scoring? Yes. Ranking? I mean, 
I was thinking if this is worth even doing a um, games that are similar to it recommendation, but mm. I feel like we've touched on that a little bit. already. Yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. people are going to say scythe and I mean, yes and no for all the reasons that we've said, you know, yeah. if you love scythe and you want to be a completionist and you love this world and the artwork and all that, then go for it. Um, if you love your Stonemaier games, go for it. But in terms of gameplay, just very quickly, I would say, um, honestly, I think if you love Dwellings of Eldervale and want like, uh, you know, a slightly like a less complex, more streamlined, quicker version of that, maybe, yeah. maybe, or this... one that, or one that you can actually get your hands on, <laughs> right? Yeah, um. Yeah, then maybe this, but again, like it's not that similar. Yeah. Part of what the, I, I was like, I was kind of worried because I pre-ordered this before I got Dwellings of Eldervale, and then I got that, and then I was worried. I was like, oh, is Expedition's going to arrive, and is it going to be the same game? Mm-mm. And it yeah, isn't. They're pretty and I'm different. okay. I'm I'm happy about that, but like I yeah. just, I could still see why if you like one, you might like the other. So that would be my quick sure. recommendation. No, you have one? I, well, I think for mine, I'm just going to you know, shamelessly steal one of yours and say that like, and say, um, architects of the West kingdom one for the, um, I mean the worker placement thing isn't exactly the same, but, um, mostly for the, um, you know, the way that the power and the guile trackers work. Yeah. With the virtue and the influence. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, that was worth doing for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, final initial scores. Cause again, we've only played this once. Yes. And, yeah. Um, and I'm glad you said initial scores because I think, well, for me, at least I'll stress that mine is far more provisional than usual. Okay. Yes. And yeah. I think we've had a couple of games like this at this point. Um, but just want to, you know, put that asterisk next to these scores. Yes. How about you go first? Sure. Happy to go first. Um, so I, as excited as I have been waiting for this game, and even with the caveat that, you know, um, I think when we replay it, it will be a smoother experience. I think my initial rating at least is going to be a seven and a half. Okay. And, uh, I mean, I already got into, you know, some, some of the things that I, I, you know, I didn't want to put too many expectations on it in terms of like similarities to Scythe. I already got into a few of the reasons that I, you know, inform my thinking on the game, at least right now. Um, but I think ultimately what it came down to for me is, in the streamlining of the game, I think certain elements of the game became more repetitive um, in the sense that you're placing stars in different ways to, you know, complete your objectives, but a lot of them feel very similar to me. You're completing quests by depleting power and guile. You're dispelling corruption by you know playing those same two resources um you know adding on the meteorites and the items 
you know, there's differences like point value versus like in-game benefits, but like the mechanic of how you do those things is basically the same. Um, and yeah, it just, those different ways of acquiring points felt very similar to me in a way that I wasn't expecting. And it made me wonder, it made me wonder how many times I would want to play it in short succession. Okay. I completely understand all of that. Um, yeah. And I'm, and, and I'm bummed cause I wanted to, I wanted and expected to go higher than that. And who knows, maybe on replay value. Okay. I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. like try to give you a little, uh, little pep talk. <laughs> I think first off a 7.5 is not bad. Yeah. Um, particularly on the Ryan, um, scale where a nine is a 10. <laughs> so yeah, there's fair. that. Cause you told me before we started this, you were thinking about it today and you thought you didn't like it that much. And I said, don't say any more, just save it for the recording. So I thought mm-hmm. you were going to come in lower. So a oh, 7.5, no. I think is honestly, that's still a good game. Yeah. And for sure. I think that some of the things that you flagged as disappointing, I think I do think was a product of some of the mistakes we made, particularly quite possibly when particularly with the meteorites quite possibly when it comes to the the scoring variety, because I think those are going to be some of the more interesting and fun cards in future playthroughs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a fair point. Yes. So I'm torn on where I want to settle on this, but I'm going to go with an eight for now, mm-hmm. even though I feel like I give 75% of the games we talk about eights these days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wanted to say 8.5 and I pulled up my BGG collection. And I was like looking, you know, at whose company it would be in. As of right now, I have Scythe at an 8.5, mm-hmm. which I think I need to revise that and bump that up to a nine. Um, but I also like thinking of recent episodes we did with initial playthroughs. I gave Earth an eight. And I'm thinking, mm. I like this more than Earth, but I don't like it as much as Dwellings of Eldervale, which I gave an 8.5. So I don't know. It's somewhere in the middle of that range. Can you do 8.25? <laughs> no, I was breaking the rules. So I think yeah. it's going to be an eight for now. Yeah. So that I can be pleasantly surprised when we play it in the future and um have a really positive experience that makes you wanna yes. you know, have this experience I'm having right now where I'm looking at my scythe rating and saying eight point five, that's too low. Let's bump yes. that up. I would rather yes. be bumping it up than bumping it down long term. I'm ho- I'm hopeful it will move in those in that direction um with replay value. The one last thing I wanted to mention that um made me just a tiny bit sad with this game is one of one of the things I loved about Scythe is the feeling of satisfaction you get when you get your first mech because you got to work for it. Yeah. So I was a little sad that you just start with it in this game. Just did a little bit. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because really, like the only things you gain are the workers and the cards as the game mm-hmm. goes on, and like 
Right. That just feels like currency, you know, and coins, obviously. So like, there's nothing that you particularly gain other than, well, I guess in a way the, uh, the corruption tiles, um, Mm -hmm. but like, yeah, cause you can spend those. Yeah. There's nothing that makes you feel as powerful as you do in Scythe. Although I guess that kind of goes with the, the nature of the game in that this is not an area control combat game. So the need to kind of flex and intimidate isn't as present. And, and I get that like putting permanent buildings onto the board doesn't really fit with the theme either. I get that. Yeah. And again, like I'm happy that this is not just scythe reskin. Exactly. And I, yes, give a lot of credit. I'm like, to you know the whole team involved for deciding to go back into this world but having the discipline and creativity to take in a completely different direction like i think in a way if we're sticking with like the stonemeyer catalog i think that like this has spiritually this game has more in common with wingspan than it does scythe mm-hmm. in terms of like the tone and the vibe and the complexity and the amount of player interaction and meanness. Well, and, and also like the, the brown bird powers versus like the worker placement activated powers on cards in this game. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that's all, that's all good stuff. And it's great that, you know, we don't have to pick and choose. Now this game sits comfortably next to Scythe on my shelf and I have them Mm -hmm. both. So one for every season. Exactly. Yes. Um, cool. So we have a 7.5 and an 8 as our mm-hmm. re- initial reactions to Expeditions by Stonemaier Games. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, our our next trek out into the wonderful world of Siberia. Yes. Which, not quite Siberia, but Something that's close to that may actually be a little hint for what our next review might be. If mm. you catch my drift. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So we'll be back next week. Um, yeah. It's been a couple strange weeks because I've been without Wi-Fi in my home. So I've kind of been hopping around to make these recordings work. But hopefully this is the end of that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Next episode it- can be a, a homecoming of sorts. Yes. And as we mentioned um, a couple episodes ago, like we're now getting into this stretch where we're having time to play some of these new games or games that are new to us. Yeah. So it's exciting. So we started off with Expeditions because, you know, it was on. This was one of my um, most anticipated 2023. Oh, so yeah. Check that box off. Um and we already played another one that you acquired recently. It's not a new game, but it's new to us. And it's mm-hmm. one that's similar to a game that we both love. So we already got one game played of that game, which we will be talking about soon. Yes. And then we have a whole host of ones, mostly ones that you've acquired over the past couple months that will be the coming down the pipeline. The list grows longer and longer, it does. Yeah, because I was, I was thinking about this today and of my um most anticipated list my mm-hmm. three games were dwellings of Eldervale, check expeditions check and then scholars of the south tigris which won't be until this fall yeah but um, one's coming too I, i'm trying to remember what i did i don't know if we've played 
any of them. You had Tabriz. Yeah, um, yeah, I had Tabriz. I had the the like newspaper animal one. Yes. And oh, what was your other one? I don't remember. Hmm, um, I would have but to. We definitely, yeah, we definitely it. haven't played them yet. I think maybe keep an eye out and see when they're actually coming out. Yeah, Cause... I've been looking at Tabriz, and I've had, had trouble figuring that out. I uh, I'll take another look though. Cool. Well, it's okay because until then we have a long. We've list got of our games. work cut out for us. Oh, looks like Tabriz is coming out in October. Okay, great, perfect. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then like the other thing we need to do is before, unlike what happened to us with uh Scythe and Expeditions, we really should try to schedule getting the rest, pacing out the rest of that West Kingdom trilogy before mm-hmm. Scholars of the South Tigris comes out. Yeah, we we have time. We do. Yeah. We'll get them in there. We promise we'll keep doing our homework and we'll keep showing up to class. Yeah. 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 But yeah, excited to uh, you know, dive into some of these new ones. (laughs) I I caught myself. I caught myself. You're gonna go on an expedition to some of these new board game lands. Yes. Exploring new vistas and harbors and everything in between. Yes. Um before we go, just a random thought I had. This is completely mm-hmm. unrelated to expeditions, but go for it. So you know how like the latest thing that seems to be happening in like the world of movies is like video game adaptations and like adaptations of toys and like products. So Are you, you talking had, like, like The Last of Us and this kind of stuff? Yeah, so like you had The yeah. Last of Us, the Super Mario movie, Barbie's right. coming out. There's like the Blackberry movie. Oh um, yeah, that one's all this kinds of stuff. I'm like. If like random objects and toys and video games can get movies, I'm waiting for the day that we get like an animated wingspan movie or like an epic sci-fi scythe movie. Yeah. Well, just keep an I mean, just keep an eye out on and see how the uh Dungeons and Dragons movie does at the box office, right? Well, uh, that one actually it didn't do too well. <laughs> but... Oh sad maybe uh you know we'll see we'll see there's room for it so maybe you know like video game movies they struggled for a while like notoriously so but now they're having a moment so maybe we just haven't had our time yet and you know like now everyone's saying like they've kind of mined the superhero movies to death and now it's like you know toys and video game adaptations well maybe board games will be next maybe we can hope yes all right, that's that's my little random tangent for the day. <laughs> I love that little Easter egg <laughs> at the end. That's yeah. great. Oh, and the other little Easter egg. Um, we had the results of our poll from last week. Mm. Should we say it now or save it for next week? Um, I mean, it, it's closed, so I'll just say it now. Um, cool. I kind of destroyed. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Uh, final wow. result was eighty nine percent to eleven percent. You you smoked me then. Wow. I'm wondering what it is. Um, I don't know. I think I think maybe I just had more that were recognizable to people. That could be. Yeah. That could be Azul huh. in particular. But well, um, a tip yeah. of the hat to you. So that was, next time, so that, that's impressive. just to give you uh, motivation for for you to have a uh, a vengeance in our next game show. <laughs> Yeah, I'll uh, I'll abide my time, see what I can cook up. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be next we'll be back next week. Thank you for yes. tuning in to our review of Expeditions.